this should be a fun one. Let's let's get into it. It's a miracle that we have made it this far. But here we are on the hangout in the Holy Land. My name is Colton Denning. I'm joined by Patrick Mayhorn. We're, we're back. We waited about two weeks to drop our last episode. That was my fault. I was sick. I literally looked in the mirror a couple times in the past few weeks and I was so sick that I literally said to myself, I was like, am I dying right now? It was a low moment in my life, but I am here and I am healthy and we are back to break down 16 and 15 on our list of most memorable Ohio State games of all time. Or not most memorable, most rewatchable games. I can't even get that right. (laughs) It's okay. You have overcome the attempt on your life that was put out by... Uh, former Ohio State wide receivers coach Zach Smith, who he's he's trying to take us down, uh, but we're, we uh, we will persevere. We will continue to have the only Ohio State podcast that you can listen to on the internet, um, and we are back with a new episode. I've been looking forward to this one for a little while uh, because this week we're talking about, <laughs> as opposed to on the last episode, we're talking about two good games this time instead of one good game and 2002 Michigan. Um, I think we should just jump right into it with number 16, and that is 2016 against Nebraska, which I, I went back and watched this one. I didn't have to go back and, and rewatch the the second game on our list because it relates to a project that I will mention later that is out now. But um, for for this one, I went back and I, I was watching it. There's there's another great 40-minute version of this one on YouTube, and I was watching it at the gym. And I, I had this, this feeling throughout the entirety of watching it because this was like a blowout. I remember it as being a blowout. I remember it as being a, a an especially satisfying blowout because Nebraska was like number 10 in the country coming into this game, and uh, Ohio State had struggled a little bit to this point, and there were a lot of thoughts that maybe Nebraska would pull off an upset, and they just didn't at all and Ohio State ends up winning 62-3 but I was a little bit surprised rewatching it because I think I had kind of forgotten or compartmentalized or just looked past the fact that Ohio State just couldn't pass for like several years there and even in this game where they scored a bunch of points and JT Barrett had pretty good stats the 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 main thing that I kept noticing was that that passing attack was rough at times. Like Curtis Samuel, um, Demario McCall actually played quite a bit in this game, and he was he was really good. But Curtis Samuel, Mike Weber, and JT Barrett running the ball were really kind of the only three serious options on this offense. There really wasn't a ton, and and I think that almost makes the final score more impressive but that surprised me a little bit going back I, I expected a lot of like really really explosive offensive play and there there certainly was some but I think I had forgotten a bit what 2016 really felt like and, and what those teams looked like on the field this game is I think the most unique that we've had so far because of the first four three two of them were bowl games one was against Michigan and then the other was that crazy overtime game against NC State and now this one is really our first blowout and it was a good old-fashioned ass whooping I mean (laughs) Ohio State really just beat the brakes off of Nebraska in this game and they were like you said they were seven and one at this point Nebraska was they had just lost to Wisconsin the week before Ohio State was seven and one they had lost to Penn State two weeks before this game and then that just hideous game against Northwestern at home where they won 24 to 20. And I I distinctly remember feeling not nervous about this game heading into it, but just a little bit weird because they had won that game and it was so ugly. But when I went back and looked at the Northwestern game, I was like, okay, how is the offense playing? They didn't turn the ball over once in that game. JT Barrett threw for 223 yards, seven yards per attempt. They ran for over 200 yards and over five yards per carry, and they only scored 24 points, and they won by four. And that is just a perfect example. And then this game, the next week after, of just how weird I think the 2016 season was. And it's not really a season I think we talk a lot about for good reasons. For good reasons, yeah. (laughs) Given given how it ended, but I, I think when we dive into this game, 
there are a lot of things to remember about this team that I think unfairly get swept under the rug because of what happened against Clemson. And Nebraska was a pretty good team this year, and Ohio State just whooped them. And then the next week, they beat Maryland 62-3 to again, back-to-back weeks. I just, throughout watching this game, I, I kind of just thought to myself, especially when it comes to the offense, we'll get to the defense here in a second. I just kept asking myself, like, I don't understand what the problem was. Like, I, kn- I know what the problem was. I know it was coaching and Tim Beck, and I think that JT at this point was not broken, but I, I think that the damage had been done with that quarterback shuffle in 2015 and his throwing mechanics. But you just go back and you look at the talent on this team, and I, I just can't comprehend how they were so up and down and why it was such a struggle for them, especially offensively, to get going because Curtis Samuel, first and foremost, you want to see a playmaker, maybe the most explosive playmaker, I think, of the Urban Meyer era. I don't think that that's crazy to say. Out of all the guys who were those Percy Harvin clones, he was the closest for sure. He was just so unbelievably fast and could cut on a dime. And watching him in this game, I think he has like seven catches for 140 yards, two touchdowns. He also rushes for 51 yards. He just ate Nebraska alive. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know they fed him the ball a a pretty good amount that season, but it still felt like he could have gotten the ball more because he was such a dynamic player and they were really hurting for that type of ability on that team. Yeah, Curtis Samuel on the season uh, in 2016, 97 carries for 771 yards, uh, 74 receptions for 865 yards. I think if I'm in charge of that offense, I probably give him about 150 carries and try to get him up closer to 85 receptions because, like you said, he was just outstanding. And I I think that the... um, my, my uh, I, I have kind of a, an extended theory on the H-back position and thinking that it's kind of horseshit. I, I think that in general it doesn't really work um, and that you should just have those guys play running back if you have them. Um, but sometimes you can get the very rare Percy Harvin type, the very rare Curtis Samuel type who can do both of the, the positions really well and strangely enough, Ohio State didn't really use Curtis Samuel in that way. The one time that they actually did have one of those guys, they they rather, when they had Don Trey Wilson, they tried to force him into that role. They uh, have spent three years trying to force Demario McCall into that role, and <clears throat> it really does seem like Curtis Samuel is the one to do that. And they just didn't, they didn't do it a ton. Um, but in in this game and just in general in that season, he was such a fantastic playmaker and every time he touched the ball um it it made me think man i wish this guy could touch the ball more i I wish that they would have run with him more because like mike weber was really good i think people kind of forget how good mike weber was as a a redshirt freshman before jk dobbins showed up um he hadn't quite developed that that ability for breakaway plays that he got on later in his career but he he averaged about six yards a carry, and it was it was a legitimate average. It was not inflated by big plays. He got about six yards every single play. But that big play threat that Curtis Samuel brought to the offense, I think he was pretty much the only one that could do that. This receiving core was bad. It was, it was not a good group. K.J. Hill was probably the best pure receiver of the bunch. And then you had a whole bunch of guys that didn't know how to run routes and didn't really know how to play receiver yet, which was not any fault of their own. Um, but Curtis Samuel kind of rose above that because of how talented he was and how fast he was. And there was that that touchdown I think, was it early in the second half to Curtis Samuel? It was the first play of the second half. Yeah, first play of the second half, the 75-yard touchdown, um, where it was it was a little bit underthrown, if I remember correctly. But he, he makes the adjustment, and then he just tears away from the defense, and they never had a chance of catching him. And that's the kind of thing that he brought to the offense, and I really, really, really would have liked to see that more. Obviously, it's it's too late to put in that request now but man he was fun to watch that was like 
kind of the main thing that I, I also noticed in watching this game was just how good Curtis Samuel was. So the goal of this whole series is to just give you guys games to watch. That is what this is at its purpose. And this one, I think you you can kind of be bedeviled by the score because you see 62-3 to three and you think, okay, this is a blowout. You know, watch the offense, rack up points, and just it kind of, sort of a palate cleanser, I think, from the other games that we've had. This one is the first big-time blowout, and there is certainly that. There's a lot of offensive firepower, but for me, the real joy in going back and watching this game is to watch how good the defense was. Yeah, They absolutely shut down Nebraska in this game. They held them to three and a half yards per play, and, and I just want to take a moment to read you Ohio State's top 13 tacklers of the 2016 season. Raquan McMillan, Jerome Baker, Malik Hooker, Chris Worley, Damon Webb, Draymond Jones, Sam Hubbard, Marshawn Lattimore, Jalen Holmes, Tyquan Lewis, Nick Bosa at 11, Garyon Conley, Denzel Ward. <laughs> we, we've talked a little bit about great defenses at Ohio State and what the 2002 group was able to do uh, last episode in that Michigan game, and we'll, we'll talk about them as we get closer to the top of the list against Miami. This goes back to what I said about the Clemson game. They This is the part of the team that I wish we would remember more because they were one of the best groups in school history. They had talent at every single level, and they were dominant. And even in that Clemson game, I know probably 95% of people, Ohio State fans, haven't gone back and watched that game. I have. Yeah, I have too, even, unfortunately. <laughs> man, even in the third quarter, like I don't want to say that they had a chance to win, but the defense played pretty well. Like the, There was just a point where the defense couldn't be on the field anymore, and they just got worn out. But for two and a half quarters of that game, they didn't shut Clemson down, but I think that they, they pushed them around pretty good, and the offense was just not able to do anything. But in this game, the defensive line wrecks everything. You have Hubbard and Lewis coming off the edge. Bosa's coming off the edge on third downs. Jalen Holmes is just wrecking shop in the middle of the defense. So is Draymond Jones. And everything behind them is just like all world. I, I miss linebacker play so much because these linebackers were so good. Jerome Baker had a transcendent, 2016 season and this was to me just peak defense in the urban meyer era because they just flew around the field and they didn't let opponents do much of anything and not only that but they created a lot of opportunities for themselves because the third play of the game they have the pick six and then later on in the game malik hooker has one of the more ridiculous interception returns for a touchdown where he's just so calm running like he's a a punt returner or a running back these guys, just everything about great defense, they epitomized it. This has to be the best defense of the Urban Meyer era, right? Like, has to I be. think so. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean... I think so by, by a significant margin. Yeah, fifth in S&P Plus at the end of that season, third in points per game uh, for the defense, and that certainly wasn't helped by a 31-0 loss at the end of the season. Um, but that, that really is the number one way that I remember that 2016 team as being just so 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 good on defense and so helpless on offense and you know they were still able to score points because that was never a huge issue but I, I think we had almost kind of forgotten just how miserable the Warren or Beck era was it was so bad because they paired it with these awesome defenses you know the, the 2016 defense was so good the 2015 defense was really good 2017, you know, you've got Denzel Ward stepping into that main role and becoming, um, you know, one of the better cornerbacks I've ever seen at Ohio State. But this this 2016 team, as you mentioned, running down that list, really had the the perfect cross section of all of those guys. 
and you've got that great defensive line. You've got you know young guys like Nick Bosa starting to step up. You've got Sam Hubbard, who was really, really good that year and really good at Ohio State, and I think that he goes under the radar a little bit. And like you mentioned, the linebackers were just so good uh, consistently. I mean, Raekwon McMillan was always, always good. Um, even a guy like Chris Worley was, was really good. And like you, know, you mentioned as well, Jerome Baker, obviously. But... I, I think that the the number one thing that stood out to me about the defense was another individual player, and it was Malik Hooker. Um, he he just kept showing up. It, it was like the entire game. Uh, I was watching the defense just to to see exactly what made them so good, and it felt like he was there on every single play, even though he only had what three tackles. Yeah, three tackles. But he has that pick six. He has. Um, what feels like about 20 deflections, it's listed as just just one. But, it, I mean, it, it really did feel like he completely changed the way that Ohio State's opponents were forced to play offense. I mean, his, his presence in that defensive backfield entirely changes both the way that the defense that he's on operates and the way that every team had to play against Ohio State because you just couldn't pass down the field. It was not possible. Um, and man, he was just, he was so good. And I, I think if you're, you're trying to, cause this was a, this was a common thing I heard in 2018 as, you know, lots of people, us included us first, were talking about how Greg Schiano isn't very good at his job. Uh, and there was some kickback to that. There were people saying, well, you know, look at when he first got here, 2016, look at 2017 when he was running the defense, what happened there? Um, I think that the best explanation you can possibly have for that is that, one, in 2016, Ohio State, I'm pretty sure, still had Luke Fickle coaching their linebackers and most of their defense. Um, and two, they had guys like Malik Hooker back there. And it's hard to screw up a defense when you have someone as good as Malik Hooker. And man, he's just like, I went back after this game and I rewatched his highlights just on, it's like a quick, a quick eight minute clip. Man, he was good. I, I think he's probably one of the best defensive players I've ever seen at Ohio State. And it's really unfortunate that we only got one year out of him. Yeah, he was great. And a couple notes about that defense. Seven interception returns for touchdowns. <laughs> That season, That's just and crazy. <laughs> they played. Uh, they played Oklahoma, and I went back and looked. Oklahoma's offense that season averaged seven point five yards per play. Against Ohio State, they averaged five point nine, and that was the only time they were held under six that season. In Baker Mayfield's first or second year starting there, that was them fresh off of the playoff in two thousand fifteen. So that that defense was just on a whole other level and they could attack you in so many ways and there were guys like Robert Landers who was like the 10th man <laughs> and a lot of a lot of young players you know getting, getting valuable experience and you know you talked about Hooker and he was an eraser and if you have average cornerback play that sort of guy can completely change your defense but when you have Marshawn Lattimore and Denzel Ward flanking him as your starting corner. Gary on Conley, too. Gary on Conley, yeah. Denzel Ward was the third corner. He yeah. wasn't even a starter. <laughs> it's like, just stupid. It's crazy. <laughs> it's it's absolutely ridiculous. And Marshawn Lattimore that season, too, was a little bit overshadowed just by the fact that Hooker was that damn good. And there's a couple of plays. Really, all three of those corners make a couple of awesome plays in this game. And... I, I think that they were able to cover for a lot of Greg Schiano's idiocy, I think is probably well, and his, the right word. His over-aggressive defense, that, that can really, yeah. it can work great in the NFL when you have NFL talent, and this defense did. I mean, like you said, that defensive backfield had Malik Hooker, uh, Damon, uh, Damon Webb, who was really good, and I think that he's another guy that kind of goes underappreciated. Um, Denzel Ward is the number three corner. Garyon Conley is the number two corner. And then Marshawn Lattimore is the number one corner. And you've got two uh, two NFL yeah, two NFL linebackers had to make sure on that uh, that were really good. You've got that entire defensive line that was awesome. That's when that defense is great is when you have all that talent that can, you know, they can make those those split second decisions. They can handle all those overcomplicated stunts and blitz schemes and the 
just complete man coverage all the time is when you have those awesome cornerbacks and when you don't is when things can start to get complicated. But I mean, if you've got that defensive backfield, it's really hard to screw it up. It's really, really, really hard to do. And not only the talent, because that was obviously there, but the smarts from every level of the defense, Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis on the outside, Jalen Holmes, Draymond Jones inside on the line. Raquan McMillan, one of the smarter middle linebackers we've seen in a really long time. And then, of course, Hooker, Conley, Lattimore, Ward. You had guys who were not only physical freaks and just studs athletically, but also knew exactly where to be, knew exactly what their roles were, and were just so smart in terms of playing defense and this was really one of their masterpieces I know earlier in that season they held Rutgers to like 1.9 yards per play I think when they beat him bullying yeah they beat him 58 to nothing or something but 58 nothing yeah that's correct yeah (laughs) Jesus I, I feel like the Clemson game really distorts this team and offensively is you know kind of whatever but defensively this team was great, and it's a shame that they went out the way they did and they didn't get a, a bit of a better fight, especially when they opened up that game so strong with Conley's interception of Deshaun Watson, and they gave the offense you know, a great, great field position to work with. And that was kind of just fitting, I guess, that that's the way that that season ended because the defense did everything they could. You had the amazing Malik Hooker interception in the end zone and they just were the offense was never able to kind of reciprocate that and get them back into the game but when it comes to watching this game man they they are great and you see the 62 points and Ohio State does a lot of fun things offensively especially with Samuel but if you're going to watch this game, watch it for the defense because they just bully Nebraska and Nebraska can't do much of anything. Yeah, the uh, not to go too far into the the other game that you mentioned, the Rutgers game, but I do have the, the advanced stats here and I think that they are uh, significant enough to mention. So Rutgers in that game, um, 2.17 yards per play, 9.8 yards per possession, um, 8% success rate in the second quarter 9% in the third quarter 24% for the game um 44% of the plays in that game were in garbage time which means it would have gotten even worse if that didn't get factored in and on top of all that that was only considered an 84th percentile defensive pr- performance from Ohio State the they were in the 100th percentile against Tulsa a couple weeks prior when they won 48 to 3 in that game i mean that defense was just uh, we, we really can't say it enough they were just spectacular they were almost impossible to beat a couple other thoughts on this game um throwbacks what'd you think i don't like them <laughs> i i uh i didn't really like them at the time i love the helmets i think the helmets are great i think that the pants are great i just i don't like the vertical stripes i think that if they they completely took off the vertical stripes i would have loved those uniforms i think the numbers are great um, I think the rest of the uniform is great. I don't like the vertical stripes. I think it looks bad. I agree about the helmets. I think I would like the vertical stripes maybe more with the regular helmets or maybe like the other matte black helmet they wear. I, I like the vertical stripes in theory, but as a total put together, it definitely does look a little weird. But I do like the gunmetal helmet. I'm glad that that's a part of the rotation. And I wonder if we will see that again next season. Um, one other thing about this game, Tommy Armstrong gets literally yeah. ambulanced out of the game after hitting his head. And I remember when this happened, that was like a, that was one of those where it wasn't just like, man, this guy got hit in the head. It was like, wow, this looks very scary. Like this could be something that alters his life. And then he was just back like in street clothes on the sideline. Like well, he was in scrubs, later. wasn't he? Yeah. And people, yeah, people yeah. were like, how is this happening? I remember they showed him literally getting ambulance, not only out of the stadium, but like the street next to the stadium and going to the hospital. And then they had the camera when he literally just strolled back into the stadium and it was one of the weirdest things ever yeah i remember specifically being like super freaked out in that moment i i thought it was going to be a really really severe injury i mean he uh he slams his head on like concrete over on the sideline and it it looked really really bad and then like you said just like 
an hour later, he's back on the sidelines walking in in scrubs. It's a really wild moment. Um, I, I hadn't really forgotten about that. I think that that was kind of the number one thing that I remembered from this game. Um, so I, I think in in retrospect, really glad that that didn't um, end up differently. I, I think that things could have gone pretty bad there. Is this Joe Burrow's greatest Ohio State moment? I think it's his only Ohio State moment. <laughs> It honestly might be. I'd have to go back and look at his numbers. I can't remember other, a single throw that Joe Burrow has ever made. <laughs> other than maybe like that Bowling Green game to start that season, this was like, I, I remember that this was the one where he got his most exposure. And even Herb Street was like, oh, look at the zip. Look They're at the Joe same Burrow. Person, just, I mean, <laughs> just slinging it. Kirk Herb Street's son, Joe Burrow. <laughs> also, I don't know who is on the coaching staff was calling plays late in the game, but they tried so hard to get Corey Smith a touchdown. And this wasn't the only game that they did this in. There were a couple blowouts where, and maybe he got one in the Maryland game the next week where they would give him the ball on like those fly sweeps of the jets, the little pop passes. And it was always like a three yard loss. And even it, that was the thing that made me the most mad about this game. Even when it happened live, it was like, <laughs> stop. Please stop trying to get Corey Smith the ball. I don't know what the infatuation with Corey Smith was, but I even back then I was mad online about it, and I'm frankly I'm still mad about it. If I remember correctly, and I, I won't name names, that was a, uh, a speci- that was the re- the recommendation of a specific recruiting analyst for Ohio State to take that guy. Uh, so good stuff there. There is just on the Corey Smith thing. There's a really funny little quirk in this. Um, the the play-by-play that I'm looking at. So it says, first and 10 at Nebraska 12. JT Barrett pass complete to Corey Smith for six yards to the Nebraska six. The next play is a Demario McCall run. And then on third and two at the Nebraska four, JT Barrett pass complete to Corey Smith for a loss of two yards <laughs> to the Nebraska six. And then a delay a game and then a field goal. So that, I mean... You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. The the new Corey Smith was Tate Martell, and many are saying this. Corey Smith, guilty. <laughs> Corey Smith, very guilty. Was he guilty. the one that got ejected from the, um, oh, it might have been the national championship game, where he blocked somebody so hard that they ejected him? <laughs> no, but he fumbled in the national championship game. That's right. Game. Who was it that got ejected? Was that in the Wisconsin game? I don't, I don't think anybody got ejected in the national championship. I remember Corey Smith for three things. One, the fumble in the national championship game. Two, um, the big hit on special teams in the Alabama game. And three, not catching the icing touchdown. What would have been the icing touchdown in the Alabama game as well? Uh, Corey Smith. Legend. Bottom five for me, for Legend. sure. <laughs> Corey Smith and Tate Martell, the same player. <laughs> What, what other thoughts do you have about this game? Because I think it, people might be a little surprised that we have it right here, but I, we needed a blowout, and there were a couple of options. I, I still wish we have we, another. We have a couple others on here. I wish we would have put the 2013 Purdue game on here just for the sheer violence and mutilation <laughs> that that game was. But this one is a great one because I think the defense. If you want to watch this one, it's just for the transcendent defense and to look at all of the stars they had. And it's also funny, this game seems so long ago, and there's still like four or five dudes who are playing big roles on the 2019 team. Yeah, Demario McCall was the leading rusher in this game. (laughs) Robert Landers, KJ Hill made a couple catches in this game, and Jonathan Cooper. So you're still going to see a lot of guys, or not a lot, but a few guys from this game that are playing in big roles on this team. But this game feels like it was like six years ago. Yeah, it really is wild to see some of these names on like the the team that were on the team in 2016 uh, next to guys who are going to be playing this season, like Marcus Ball, Noah Brown. It feels like those guys were decades ago. You know? AJ Alexander. Yeah, AJ Alexander. To be fair, I, I think if he if I remember right, he transferred out, so kind of a different, slightly different situation. But like to see Austin Mack's name right next to Corey Smith's, it's it's just weird. It's it's really like. It's freaking my brain out a little bit that like, um, you know, Eric Smith is on the state is on the same stat sheet as Robert Landers. You know, <laughs> like Eric Smith is one of those careers where it felt like that was, you know, early two thousands. It, it's really, it's kind of strange to watch. Like, but like like you mentioned, um, 
you know, watch this one for the defense. Watch it for Malik Hooker. Watch to see just how good Ohio State can be when they are either, you know, competent with their defensive play calling and scheming or when they have 11 NFL players on their defense. Either one works. All right, before we get into number 15 on our list, I want to remind listeners where they can find the show, and that is on Spotify. That is where you need to find us right now. Go into your Spotify, search Land Grant Holy Land. There's a dash between land and grant, and you can find all of our episodes that Patrick and I do, and you can find every single other episode from the Land Grant Holy Land podcast network. That is the best place to listen to us you can also find us on apple Podcasts. subscribe there leave a star rating leave a review leave us some feedback we're on megaphone stitcher as well but we're really going to be hitting the spotify hard so if you guys like it or can't find it or can find it please help other people do that that's a new avenue for us that we learned about in the last couple of weeks and i couldn't be more excited about it so spotify search Land Grant and Holy Land, and you can find the Hangout in the Holy Land there. Also, send us a tweet at Holy Land Pod, and Patrick is at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, and I am at Dubs Co. Yeah, the, um, real quick, the Spotify stuff I should mention, um, because I didn't know this until recently, you don't have to have a paid account to listen to podcasts on there. Um, I got a couple questions about that because Spotify is... You know, at least the premium stuff is a it's a paid service. But if you want to just listen to to our podcast, listen to podcasts on there, you can just create a free account and still find it, and it'll it'll work great. Um, that's you know, a, a lot of people listen to us on SoundCloud, and we were unable to post there anymore. But uh, I, I think that if you were one of those people and you've been struggling to find the show, Spotify, just make a free account. That's that's the way to go. Yeah, go on Spotify. Follow us, and every single new episode that drops will be waiting right there for you uh, when you go to it on your app or even on your computer there. And like Patrick said, you don't have to have the premium version. You can have the free version, and you you don't have to pay anything to listen to this show. We, We do this for you guys. Okay. Let's get into episode 15, or episode 15. Let's get into game number 15. And, you know, you and I usually are on the same wavelength a lot when it comes to talking about Ohio State football and a lot of these games. And we were a little bit differing on the Michigan game. And this game right here, 2006 Texas, Ohio State wins 24-7 to in Austin. I went back and I watched this game. You got to sell me on this one, man. You really <laughs> got to sell me on this one because there's some good stuff. But top 15, I, most rewatchable? I don't know. Yeah, lay it on me, man. I, I need to hear. All right, so I'm looking at the rest of our list right now, and I see uh, there's a 2005 game in here coming up a little bit later, and then there's a 2006 game in our top five. I think people can probably guess which one that is. Uh, and that is it for the Troy Smith representation. So we are getting a third one in there, and it's this game because – um, in case people aren't aware, I just made a super big video about Troy Smith and about um, the L and, and hypotheticals and about how um, if Troy Smith had played 13 years later, he probably would have been a first round NFL pick. And you can, uh, if you want to watch that video, you can do it on my Twitter account. It's it's all over the place there at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. You can find it at landgrantholyland.com. Uh, that's the end of my plug. It's good. You can watch it. Um, but my main reason for putting this game on here is him. Um, and, you know, I, I had to, I had to, I, I chose to rewatch that entire 2006 season in working on that project. And this game really stood out to me as um, it, it's another one of those maybe a little bit more significant than good, but also uh, Ohio State's offense is really fun to watch in 2006, even if they didn't put up a ton of huge numbers and, even if the system was, um, you know, trestle ball and it was a little bit more conservative, but you know, Ted Ginn, <laughs> you, you get the chance to watch Ted Ginn, you get the chance to watch Troy Smith and a, a receiver core in general that I think is really criminally underrated by Ohio State fans. I think this is one of the best receiving cores to ever come through Ohio State. You have Anthony Gonzalez on that team, you have Ted Ginn on that team, Brian Robisky, Brian Hartline was on that team. Um, 
you know, just a bunch of really good receivers and then one of the best quarterbacks in school history and Troy Smith. And the final score isn't whopping 24 seven isn't, isn't massive, but Texas was really good that year just, and you know, had been for a while there. Uh, their defense was generally really good that year. They had Colt McCoy and Jamal Charles. I mean, this was this was a legitimately very good Texas team. It was on the road, and Ohio State's offense just throttled them. I mean, there was never really a chance of Texas slowing them down. This Ohio State defense was similar to this 2016 team in that it was really, really good, and it was loaded with pros. This is another one of those games on this list because of the amount of talent in it. And I think that really any chance that you get to watch Troy Smith play, to watch Ted Gibb play, to watch even somebody like Antonio Pittman, who um, I underrated on this podcast a little while ago, and I apologize for that because he was really good. Um, I think any chance you get to watch those guys you should take because they were extremely fun to watch. And I'll play a little devil's advocate on myself here because Texas did come into this game the defending national They were number champions. two in the country. It was one versus two. Yeah, it was one versus two. Texas had won 21 straight games. They had won 16 straight at home. They had won nine, strength, nine straight at home against ranked teams. And even though it was Colt McCoy's second start as a true freshman, he was really young. The, the hype for this game was massive. LeBron was at the game. Uh, Matthew McConaughey, of course, was at the game. There was a ton of Ohio State fans at this game and it really was one of those mid-2000s games that we talked about a couple weeks ago where it it was one of those home and homes we love to see you know it was really awesome watching Ohio State go to Texas a year after Texas had come to Columbus and that was another big factor in this one was it was a revenge game of sorts and I, I think throughout the broadcast they said that Ohio State players had really kind of downplayed it. And I don't think that they were really lying about that one because to me in watching this game, Ohio State just felt like they just kind of sat on them. Like they knew they were better and it almost felt like Texas knew that they were better. And it, they kind of knew like ah, Colt McCoy's in his second start. We're going to not try to get blown out. And if we can keep this one close, we're going to do it. But Ohio State just really played a solid game and was able to shut him down. Yeah, and that was kind of Ohio State's MO for that entire season. Ohio State really knew that they were better than just about everybody that they played, except for in the final game, unfortunately. But they, you know, they knew that and they used it to their advantage because this offense, when needed to, was so good. I mean, I mentioned it. Troy Smith. Ted Ginn, unstoppable. It, you, no one, no one was able to slow them down really all season long. Um, when they wanted to pass, they could easily on everybody. When they wanted to run, they could easily on everybody. I, I think that this Ohio State team probably could have averaged about 50 points a game if it wasn't for Jim Trestle coaching and Jim Trestle knowing that they really didn't need to score 50 points a game to win. Um, and this is a really good example of that. You know, they they score a quick 14 in the first half. They score again in the third quarter. And then they put it away about halfway through the fourth quarter, and they just sit on the lead. They, they, didn't, they didn't really need to do anything else. They know that their defense isn't going to give up 24 points. Um, and they did that all year. They did that to everybody. Uh, you know, the, the, the team during the regular season that – got closest to to threatening them really outside of maybe Michigan was Penn State and Penn State always gives Ohio State trouble but even then Ohio State's defense was you know such a great complement to this this loaded offense and they would create turnovers they were just locked down all season long and I, I think that to go back and kind of you know, watch games like this, you can see a lot of similarities to the way that Ohio State has been operating in the past few years. I think much to the disdain at times of some Ohio State fans where, you know, like the um, the USC game a couple years ago stands out to me as being one of these or the Washington game most recently where Ohio State is obviously the better team. They know they're the better team. They get out to a big enough lead and then they just kind of sit on it. And I think the difference really... The only difference between the approaches of the 2006 team and the approaches of the more recent Ohio State teams doing that is that the 2006 team was better <laughs> than the most recent Ohio State teams. Um, the most recent Ohio State teams had some pretty fundamental 
issues that made it so that they couldn't just flip that switch and pull away if they needed to sometimes. The 2006 team did not have those issues. I mean, their their only issues that they really had that season were that uh, the entire offensive line got drunk the night before the championship game. <laughs> and that was kind of the thing that was their downfall. But this team was just dominant. And you can really see it in this game against a really good Texas team where it feels like they're playing, you know, just a a, a mid-level Big Ten foe. They make Texas look like Indiana. It, it's really... It's really not ever super close. It's Ohio State was more physical. They were faster. They were tougher. They were just a better team than you know every single team that they played in this entire regular season. And it's really fun to watch that kind of domination sometimes. The only time this game was really super close was at the start. And was it the second Texas drive where they get inside the 10-yard line and James Laurinaitis forces that fumble, which to me was really the play that changed the game straight up from the start because it was almost Texas's only sustained drive. I know they had a 13-play drive where they scored a touchdown in the second quarter, but that really seemed like it took the the wind out of their sails after they tied at 7-7. And this was kind of James Laurinaitis' coming out party. He had played a little bit in 2005, but he has the forced fumble. He has the interception in the second half and this was really where he established himself as you know the the name guy for Ohio State's defense and one of Brent Musburger's favorite players in college football it has to be noted you know there there were individual moments of this game whether it was that or Ted Ginn burning Aaron Ross for you know that that really awesome throw by Smith before the end of the first half or was it second play of the game where Ginn goes over the middle and then just roasts yeah. everybody for about 40 yards. That just kind of showcased the type of explosion that he had. So I think that there are pockets in this game where you you really see where the 2006 team stood out. Yeah, man, let's let's talk about Ted again a little bit. <laughs> because like you mentioned, that um, that early play where he catches it on the left side and not by design, just darts across the field and no one can can ever really even touch him until super, super later on in the play. Um, he also has a, a touchdown reception really, really late in the first half. It's kind of an over-the-shoulder catch. Um, I think Ted Ginn gets a lot of flack, and some of it deservedly so now that he's been in the NFL for a decade and never really learned how to catch. <laughs> I, I think that would be, you know, a, a fair way to describe his his game where he has really struggled at times and he struggled at times at Ohio State where he just couldn't quite catch the ball consistently and he never developed that. But when he did catch the ball, which was still I mean, it was more than half of the time. Usually when the ball was near him he did catch it. Um when he did catch the ball, he was almost impossible to tackle. You know, whether it was down the field, he he was probably one of the best deep threats Ohio State has ever had uh, on these little drag or slant routes underneath on punt returns. I mean, when Ted Ginn did get the ball, he was completely unstoppable, and it's it's still really really fun to watch him do that. You know, even. Now this is 13 years later and we've seen some more really fast guys come through Ohio State. I don't think I've seen one anywhere near the level of Ted Ginn as a runner. I'll say this about Ted Ginn. If you're a first-round pick as a receiver and you're still playing in the league 13 years later, your career has been a rousing yeah, success. Yeah. <laughs> Regardless success. of what people say, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't for Miami. Miami probably shouldn't have picked him where they did, but the fact that he's played this long and is still not a focal point in anyone's offense, but is out there making catches and scoring touchdowns. I think at this point it's pretty inarguable that he's had a very successful NFL career, especially, you know, given the shelf life of NFL players, if you're on year 13, you're doing pretty well. And my, my absolute favorite thing about this game is right from the start, other than that, initial catch by Ginn, Anthony Gonzalez is just eaten. And Troy Smith is, is looking to him, and he's throwing him the ball on third downs. He he scores the first touchdown. He ends up with eight catches for 142 yards and a touchdown. He takes a hellacious shot over the middle at some point in this game and holds onto the ball. And 
Kirk Herbstreet, once he starts getting getting into a groove, is like, you know, everybody talks about Ted Ginn and his connection with Troy Smith, but when you really look at this offense, what makes it go is Anthony Gonzalez and moving the chains and getting him the ball on third down, and he throws him the ball again, and it's the same thing. Man, when you look at it, Anthony Gonzalez is really the one that gets it done, and then it gets to that point in the end of the first half, and he throws the touchdown to Ginn, and Herb Street just like immediately does a 180. He's like, you know, I've talked all game about how Anthony Gonzalez is really the one that makes this go. But when you really look at it, it's the backyard ball between Teddy Ginn and Troy Smith that defines this Ohio State offense. And I swear I'm not making this up. Like <laughs> yeah, he, he does do that. Yeah. Just totally shifts 180. And I've always thought that that's absolutely hilarious because at the start of the game, He's talking about Ted Ginn, and then Gonzalez goes off. So he starts talking about him being the number one receiver, and then he throws the touchdown to Ginn, and he's like, <laughs> well, you know, when you really look at it, it's Troy Smith and Teddy Ginn in the backyard oh, ball. Man. Yeah, that's it, it's really funny to see that, like to go back and watch it again, just to to specifically hear those those audio lines. And I mean, I can understand kind of where he was coming from because like you said, Anthony, yeah, Anthony Gonzalez was really good. He was really good in this game. He was really good all season. I think he was, you know, probably the most consistent hands on the team. He's, he certainly didn't have the, uh, the big play acumen that Ted Ginn did, but he was, um, and this is, this is not so much specific to this game, but just something I noticed in going back through all of the 2006 games. Um, He's a really he was a really creative player, which you don't say a ton about college football players or football players in general. And I I mean in that that you would see at times he catches the ball on a curl route, he catches it on a slant. He was usually an underneath guy. And then he cuts back five directions. He goes all the way back behind the line of scrimmage and he finds just this little space to create a much bigger play and to create a touchdown and um, I can't remember. It might have been the Michigan game that he did this in, specifically maybe the Northwestern game, where he catches the ball, backtracks about fi- Iowa. Yeah, that's right. It was a night game for sure, where he catches the ball, backtracks about 15 yards, <laughs> cuts all the way across the field, and ends up scoring a touchdown in the corner of the end zone. And um, I think that you know, certainly not the best receiver in Ohio State history. Certainly not the most talented receiver in Ohio State history. But really fun to watch him do that. It's it's really funny and enjoyable to see Anthony Gonzalez just running all over the field. And he did that really every single game. He, you know, like I said, not a huge deep threat. Not the guy that you want to go win 50-50 balls. But it's just, it's really fun. It's enjoyable to watch him do these curl routes and then see no one able to tackle <laughs> One other thing I love about this game is how much of a talking point it was that Gene Chizik was 29-0 and on a 29-game win streak as a defensive coordinator. And I remember when, when I was watching this game live when it happened that that was like such a big deal that like Gene Chizik had come from Auburn and now he's in his second season at Texas. Folks, he's going to be a really good one. And granted, he's got a national championship, but it's just, it's just funny to go back and watch that and then know his last job was at North Carolina and now Mac Brown is coaching North Carolina again like there is an active coach in this game that is still coaching I'm back baby <laughs> yeah that's that's just really crazy to me it does feel like Texas has the highest um like percentage of defensive coordinators that were expected to be the next great college football coach that just weren't any good because Will Muschamp falls into that category too and it it just seems like every single bad coach was a defensive coordinator in Texas at some point we're about to find out about Manny Diaz Mm. too I hope he does well I like him we'll we'll see (laughs) I like Manny Diaz as well you know I but that's he was another one of those guys that I you know he kind of had he struggled at Texas didn't he yeah we'll see what he does at Miami but you know you look at Gene Chizik you look at Will Muschamp and I'll never forget him just punching the whiteboard that was probably his greatest Texas moment and Manny Diaz as well and there was there was a lot about Texas in this game that was just kind of snake bit they had one of their starting corners who was suspended for this game for I think getting arrested with pot and then they found a gun in his car and then like a former player was like no it's it's mine for sure because he was already in the NFL or already like out of school and he was trying to 
hold it down for his boy, which was very admirable. But Texas came in and they just didn't have a lot of firepower. At least the firepower was extremely young and they just really didn't match up well in this game at all. Yeah, and I, I um the only real takeaway that I have for Texas is that if I'm remembering correctly, Jamal Charles was really good at the beginning of this game and then he just kind of fell off. Um like the, the They stopped running the yeah, ball. Yeah, like the first time the first drive he couldn't get much going, but then he opens the um <clears throat> the second drive with 12-yard run, 13-yard run, 9-yard run, and then they start passing. They go to Selvin Young for a little while, who was also really good. Ohio State was struggling to stop the run. And then Texas just stops doing it. I mean, third drive, Selvin Young runs for 30 yards. It was like kind of strange that Texas did that in retrospect, looking back at this game, because they were having a lot of success running the ball, and Colt McCoy, like you said, was a, a true freshman. Um and then they just kind of go away from it. Selvin Young, speaking of real quick, another one of uh, really fun guys to remember. <laughs> just, just a, a fun, a fun little like um, you know memory of that 2006 season was Selvin Young being quietly really really good. <laughs> I remember Texas fans being super upset that they stopped giving him the ball. He had 11 carries for 94 yards. Yeah, he's yards. actually, interestingly enough, he's not listed on the ESPN box score. You you can only find this information on uh, Sports Reference. <laughs> yeah, they, he had a really good game, and I remember because 16-year-old me went to Burn Orange Nation after this game and just mercifully or mercilessly <laughs> trolled them, and I think, I think that was the first site that I ever got banned from. I remember just being like, you guys are losers you're never gonna win another national championship we beat you in your house like i but i do remember getting blocked from burn orange nation after this That's game incredible. from uh from trolling <laughs> trolling too hard my other notes on this game uh were that it's a travesty that texas doesn't play on grass anymore it's a travesty that ohio state doesn't play on grass anymore too <laughs> yeah it, it, it is ohio state texas Notre Dame, Michigan. Everybody should just play on grass. It looks better. It's the only redeeming thing that Penn State yeah. does at this point. I like the whiteout. The whiteout is neat. Yeah, I'm fine with the whiteout, but I'll give Penn State a pass for playing on grass. You know, that's anytime a college team sticks to playing on grass, I love it. And, you know, for a department as big as Texas, I remember it being like, well, it's, it's a money thing. We can't water the grass. Like, okay. Yes, it's a money thing at Texas. There are no no Texas famously has no boosters willing to uh to Very spend more school just in general. <laughs> also, Bob Davey at some point is like, ah, oh, when you just look at the team speed for Ohio State, that's just that stands out to me. They might have the best team speed in the country. I, I got news yeah, for as you, we Bob know Davey, that was three, correct <laughs> in about three months here. Uh, that's that is going to be proven very correct against Florida. Yep, for sure. Ohio State much faster than Florida, fastest team in the uh, in the league, definitely. <laughs> Is there anything else about this game? Because I have one final take, but I want I want you to get something off here. I don't think I have much. Uh, Ohio State special teams were really good. I kind of miss the special teams being so good. <laughs> okay, let's let's get to it. Because I want to be delicate about okay. this, and I let's, don't wanna, yeah, let's hear it. I don't want to say I don't want to go overboard in what I'm saying here, but I I feel like this game is a bit of a microcosm for me about how I feel about the 2016 mm, because after not liking I, this <laughs> no you're not going to like this at all at, like right after the 2006 season happened and even after the Florida game that was a team that I loved I really loved them for maybe like 5 years after that game as well the further we get away from that season I don't know if it's just that I'm more jaded because I love the individual players like I love Troy Smith I love Ted Ginn. I love Anthony Gonzalez. I love Antonio Pittman. He's one of my favorites. Malcolm Jenkins, love him. It's not the individual players, but I feel like that team, for lack of a better word, is very overrated amongst Ohio State fans. And it's due to a lot of what we talked about last episode. Because they beat Michigan in the stakes in which that game had, not only it being one versus two, national championship on the line. Bo had just died. It was basically, if they won the coronation for Troy Smith, winning the Heisman, there was just so much at stake in that game. And it's going to have its rightful place here in the future 
episodes of our list when we break that down. And that's going to be one where it's going to get its own episode. But looking back in that season in totality, as great as they were, that team didn't play anyone. Like even this Texas team, they were good by the end of the year. Other than the game against Michigan and the game against Texas right here, that team just did not play anyone. And that's not their fault. You can only play on who you're scheduled, but like the Big Ten sucked in this era. There was absolutely nobody in the meat of this schedule. And, you know, the only other good team they played that year was Florida, and they just got shit kicked by them. And like, I don't want to have to look back on the 2006 team like this, but I do. And maybe it's just me because I love what we're going to get into this in a couple of episodes. I think the 2005 team would wreck this team like by a couple touchdowns they just run them out of the building maybe that's where i'm jaded because i i think people overlook the 2005 team compared to this one but i always have a little bit of a different view on this team because like you you've gone back and watched all these games and they soundly beat all those teams but to me it's just like who were those teams who did those teams have and like even then, they sh- they should have beat him even worse. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just jaded. I still love the 2006 team, but to me, they're a little bit overrated. And even when you look at the advanced stats, they finished behind LSU, USC, and Louisville in overall S&P Plus. I think that a lot of their success that year was pr- a product of not playing a great schedule. And I don't know. That that's my hot take about the 2006 team. Yeah, I I think that there is something to be said for the fact that um, the schedule wasn't very good. I mean, Texas obviously still counts as a pretty quality win. The Michigan game at the end of the year still counts as a pretty quality win. But in between that, you have a whole bunch of teams that weren't really good. Um, you know, Iowa was ranked at the time. Penn State was ranked at the time. Neither one of them finished um, super well. Iowa certainly <laughs> kind of fell off after that. But I, I do think that the other thing to to consider, and um, you know, you, you look at the the meat of this schedule from week one or game one to to game I guess eleven, uh, where the the most points Ohio State gives up in that span. And th- this is kind of the the thing for me when when looking at this this team and when when thinking that maybe they didn't beat these teams by enough, is that. You look at those first 11 games, the most points that Ohio State gave up was 17 to Iowa. Um, after that, it was 12 to Northern Illinois and then 10 to, to Illinois. And every other team was 7, 3, or 0. Or there's there's a 6 in there, too. And I, I think that that's kind of the not necessarily the answer to, to that, uh, that critique of this team for me. But I, I do think that it is you know, important to remember that Ohio State probably could have won these games by a whole lot more if they wanted to. Um, I, I do think that the 2005 team has a legitimate case. I mean, that 2005 team, I would agree, is pretty severely underrated. Um, the the way that that season kind of unfolded, where you've you've got a couple of uh, you know close losses, the Penn State loss specifically, but the Texas loss as well, where if Either one of those games swings differently. Ohio State probably plays for a national championship. Um, I, I think that certainly, you know, certainly an argument to be made. But I, I do think that the the 2006 team, the final scores maybe don't reflect just how good that team was, because you do have situations like the um, the Michigan State game stands out to me specifically, where Ohio State probably could have dropped 60 on them if they wanted to, and that could be said for a lot of the games on this scale. That's certainly you know, reflects that the Big Ten wasn't very good that year. But I, I do think that, you know, Ohio State was awesome in, in 2006. And they, they probably could have could have put up even more numbers if they really wanted to. And um, I, I think it's really easy to have this season colored negatively by Florida game. And I don't think that that's what it is for, for you, as you mentioned. The Big Ten was really bad, and I think that that's understandable. Um, but I think for a lot of people... The 2006 season is kind of sullied by the way that it ended, and I, I mentioned this in my my Troy Smith video as well. Uh, I, I think that it's it's important to kind of look at the the resume of that team on the whole and and realize that 
Um, that national championship game probably wasn't super reflective of how good those teams actually were. I think Florida was probably better. I don't think that they were that many points better. I think that Ohio State not having Ted Ginn really, really hurt them. I think that Ohio State not having a um, fully awake offensive line probably hurt them. I think that uh, Troy Smith spending a month going to award ceremonies probably hurt them. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know how the the overall reflection on this 2006 season is if Ohio State loses to Florida, let's say, you know, 28 to 24, 28, 21, something a little bit closer probably to the the difference in talent level. And, you know, if the defense plays a little bit better, if the offense plays a whole lot better, um, how this team would be looked at. But I, I do think that there are, you know, I, I think I'm higher on the 20, the, the 2006 team than most. And I think it's because I kind of, you know, look at that championship game as a bit of an anomaly and obviously it doesn't actually matter you know florida still won the championship game the, the game does still count but i i do think that i kind of take in with a little bit more of a grain of salt than than some other people do yeah and i i think that that's fair and other not not the scoring doesn't bother me or like the not being not just throwing up 50 every game i think it was that the defense just didn't have to get tested and yeah the, i could two see that, times yeah. the, the two times that they did it was like we only not only did we get tested we got shredded yeah and and i think that it wasn't because they were bad but when you look at that defense they were young they had just lost aj hawk they had just lost dante whitner they had just lost bobby carpenter so there was a lot of dudes that were in new roles for them and I, I think that for most of the season, they did a really good job. But once they went up against better teams, you kind of saw those weaknesses exposed because they were playing other teams that had athletes. And maybe that's where I think for me, that season just gets a little bit more, you know, I, I not look down on it because I still love the team, but I'm a little bit more jaded. And to you mentioned the offensive line and Troy Smith, I think, you know, it's one thing like if you just get your ass kicked and they did in that Florida game. But what makes me so sour about that game other than them just getting their asses beat was that their leaders didn't really step up the way that they should have to end the season, to win a national championship, especially after beating Michigan. It was like, okay, we beat Michigan. Troy won the Heisman. This thing is over. We, we did it. And you know, they got, hit in the mouth by a team that was hungrier than them and you know when you have a senior quarterback that wins the Heisman you have an experienced running back like Antonio Pittman you have two experienced receivers and a head coach like Jim Tressel it's it's just so tough to lose that way when you have that sort of leadership and so that's that's where it gets a little bit off for me about that team but as we'll talk about in the 2006 Michigan game, you know, if there's one moment in that season, I'm glad it's that one because that's a historic moment. And I'm very excited to talk about that game. Yeah. 2006 for me, just a lot of hurt. I think really when you get d deep down into it, I'm just, I'm hurt by that team. Yeah. I, I understand that. I, I think that that, yeah, I, I think that that's a fair complaint. I, I could certainly see, um, I mean, the leaders really did not show up in that championship game, and I, I think that some of it was kind of out of their control, specifically the Ginn injury. But yeah, I, I think that all of that has um, has some legitimacy to it and has some carry to it. And uh, 2006 season, probably still one of the best teams in school history, one of the better seasons in school history, but um, definitely a pretty disappointing end. This game, however, not disappointing. Pretty fun to watch. No, yeah. not at all. Pretty pretty enjoyable. <laughs> I still, I don't think you've convinced me. I still, uh, I still want that 2005 Notre Dame game or 2005 Michigan game on this list, but I think it is worth it for the revenge factor to watch Troy Smith and Ted Ginn to watch Kirk Herbstreet completely do a 180. About he was still kind of learning how to be an announcer at this point. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. And just like the general ridiculousness of, uh, Brent Musburger, I think for as much of a weirdo curmudgeon as he is, his that booth team with him, Herbie, and Bob Davey, that was a good group. They had good chemistry and like 
they would try to bury Bob Davey on air, which is one of the funniest things ever. And uh, Bob Davey, much better analyst than he is coach. Yeah, I think that that's, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> they were good there for a while at, uh, what? where is he at, New Mexico? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Mexico. They were good there for a while. Kind of. Also, the it. 2000, the 2006 team had that group for ABC like five times that season. They had them for the Texas game. They had them for Iowa. I think Northwestern was on there too. I know Northwestern was a night game. They were there for Michigan as well. It felt like there was a. They were there for the Purdue game the next season in 2007. Mm-hmm. But they were in prime time a lot that year and. This is definitely one that's that's worth going back and watching, and I feel like is 15 to 20 is fine. I made concessions. That's what this is all about. We're going to get to some of mine here in a little bit, and for all the haters out there that, um, that like the 2016 more than the 2005 team, I'm just going to tell you now, the 2005 Texas game is still coming. It's on yeah. this list, yeah, it is. and There's it's the only loss. <laughs> I will say, before we even get into just talking about that game and I'll go deep into that one when it's that episode. You can make a case. I can make a case. I will make the case that the 2005 Texas game could be top five on this list, just based off of pure, pure watchability, rewatchability, talent. Texas is one of the greatest teams of all time. Listen, Justin's this is where we need nine of 15 passing. For this 66 is where, yards. this is where we need to wrap up this episode. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I will just go to bat for 2005, just shit-kicking 2006. Ooh. But that's neither here nor there because we have our full list of the 20 most rewatchable Ohio State games of all time. And the best thing about it is that we all have differing opinions. Even Patrick and I don't agree on this one, and I'm sure that you guys don't as well. So please give us your feedback. Send us some tweets at Holy Land Pod. I am at Dubsco. Patrick is at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. We are as a site at LandGrant33. And be sure to follow the show on Spotify. Search LandGrant Holy Land. Follow us on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. Leave us some feedback. That is where you can find us. And we will be back next week with a new episode and talking about games number 14 and 13 on our list. So be tuned for that. But until then, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning, and this is The Hangout in the Holy Land.